Welcome everyone. My name is Dan. This is Spiritual Underground Podcast. It's coming to you from an office high above the town of Juicyville, Kentucky. Today's topic is step one, but before we get to that, I'm going to go around the table real quick and tell you who's uh, in the room with us, who's in the studio today. Uh, Today we have Drew with us. Drew and Kevin are both working primarily behind the board. You will hear from them today. Uh, We've got Todd with us, Quentin, Shane, uh, Smitty, and Don. Uh, so that'll be your crew for today, and we're going to talk on step one. So step one goes like this. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Uh, I've had struggled not to put the and in there. Uh, in the middle there, it is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, hyphen, that our lives had become unmanageable. So we know this powerless and man- unmanageability are main points of this step one. Uh, in the book, someplace I learned that... Uh, uh, someplace I picked up that honesty is the principle behind it. And it's a good dose of surrender is always required too. Uh, that that uh, elusive point of surrender. It's about com- admitting complete defeat, becoming humble. Uh, we probably will be talking about why a bottom is so important tonight. Uh, we have these concepts of the mental obsession and the phenomenon of craving when it comes to our, to our uh, substances. Uh, behaviors tend to have those same kind of things where we end up with this like allergy effect but once we start doing a little of it we have trouble to uh, to, uh, stopping so my mentor my sponsor gave me this scenario as I came in he said uh, let's say you are running a company and that company is called Dan Incorporated so what he said is take a look and see what is the overall health of this company uh, right now is it reaping big profits? Is it uh, fun to work there? Uh, are you experiencing more and better juice day to day as you walk the path? Uh, am I continuing to expand my horizons and grow throughout the process? Or am I damn near bleeding out, wondering if I can even make it to the next day, barely having a pulse? Is everything fine and good as I would like you to believe it is, and I claim it is, or is, life, is my life in need of immediate intervention some sort of emergency support. And that was the case before I got here. Uh, and he said, if that intervention and that emergency life support was what was needed, that uh, maybe I should take a look at letting somebody else operate this thing called uh, Dan Incorporated, fire the previous manager and hire a new one. So I may get into it a little bit more after a while, but the uh, my first step was handed to me, and, and I'm not going to go into depth on it at, at the moment. We may get there. Uh, next up, I'm going to toss the microphone over to Shane, uh, see what he has to add to step one. Thanks, Dan. Uh, good evening. Um, we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Yeah, I didn't like to admit that I was powerless over anything. Uh, my ego was so huge. Uh, I did not want to admit nothing, you know, um, and my life unmanageable. No, I can manage this on my own. You know, I was doing good. Uh, I was lying to everybody and everybody was believing my lies. I was a good manipulator. Um, but, uh, I, I heard in a meeting today, this, this woman said that, uh, she was, uh, she came in to recovery on her own free will. And uh, that just hit me wrong, man, because I did not come in here on my own free will. I came in here because my disease absolutely beat me into submission, and I crawled into recovery looking for a solution, and I found one. 
And um, I'm thankful for that today because uh, I've been doing it on my own for so many years, trying to do it. And I'd get a little bit of time under my belt off of one substance to another, but um, nothing of any substantial amount of time. You know, and um, I've learned more in this past two years than I did the previous 39 before it. And I'm very grateful for what recovery's shown me today. And um, we'll talk about more about my bottom here in a, a little while or another episode. But tonight, just primarily, you know, being able to admit that we were powerless. That was that was not me until I came in here. And I'm grateful that I could uh, say I'm powerless today. And I'll pass it over to my man, Don, over here. Thanks, Shane. Uh, my name is Don. I... Uh... Where do I start with the first step? When I came into recovery, I heard a, a lot that nobody comes in here on top. Nobody has a really good drunk or a really good high or just a really good situation and says, you know what, I'm going to go to a meeting today. I'm going to stop what I'm doing. Uh, for most of us, we have hit some sort of bottom. When I came into the rooms, when I sat down, I did the typical introduction. My name is Don. I am fill in the blank. Um, recovery goes to a lot of different... There's a lot of different things that we can come to recovery for. For me, I, I did that. and I came in, I said, my name is Don. I am blank. And I, I thought I was good with it. I sat down with uh, a sponsor at the time because it was time for me to start the step work. Step one, he asked me, this is kind of a two-part question. Are you powerless over alcohol? And with me, I told him a story. I couldn't answer yes or no. I couldn't just say the words. I told a story, and I rambled. And he looked at me, and he goes, okay, but Don, is your life unmanageable? Have you lost control over this? And I told him another story. What he proceeded to do is tell me, that you're failing, Don, you can't even say the first step. So we, we kind of pressed pause and I sat back and he said, uh, it's a yes or no question, but you got to look inside yourself. And I asked him again, I said, well, in the meetings, I say it every time. It's easy to say those words. He said, but now you're asking yourself. You're looking inside yourself at that first step and coming to that realization that your life has become unmanageable. So that was my first step. This is Smitty. How's it going, fellas? Uh, I uh, My experience with the first step generally has to do with a lot of breaking down of my ego. Um, I'm a very egotistical person. I definitely have a lot of... Uh, what I had a lot of when I first came into recover, uh, recovery was intellectual pride. I thought I was so smart. I thought I was... Because I read books... That that made me somehow better than other people, because I, you know, actually dragged my face across some printed type and understood what it said. That I was somehow like above people because I wrote, I read books by people that, you know, uh, were, were revered in literature, and so I was really smart. And it turns out that when I came into uh, the recovery, I didn't really know very much, but I thought I did. And to have somebody tell me, well, you know. How's all that working for you? That's ultimately the question. The, the answer, uh, the question that comes comes to mind when it comes to powerlessness is, that's all well and great. Like Don was talking about the stories, that's all well and great. That story you told me, but how's that working for it? And it all comes down to boiling it down to that. Um, 
how much power do I have? I don't have very much at all, especially when I first come in. Um, I certainly have no power when it comes to what other people do. Uh, the other big thing is I tend to fight things even when I have no solution at all. And the greatest thing about uh, recovery is coming in and asking somebody else what to do, which is very, very difficult for people like us, is to say, hey, guy that I don't know very well, how do I do this thing, this help, life thing? Help me. Help me, absolutely. And that's a very hard thing to do when you're a prideful person. And pride is what we have to crack through in step one. And that's a very, very hard rock to crack. And sometimes you're not ready. Um, and the whole point of the serenity prayer is to realize what I can change and what I can't. And that's where we break down what we can do in life. When I stop fighting, I look at what I can change and not what I, and not what I can't, which is unfortunately one of the things I do a lot is, hey, maybe if I could just convince them enough. No, it's just and it's not just about alcohol and drugs, because once I put that stuff down, life shows up, and there's a lot about life that I need to still uh, uh, learn how to be, how to f stop fighting, and uh, so. So the steps is we're powerless over alcohol, but you were alluding to that you're powerless over some other things. Absolutely. I'm powerless over relationships. I'm powerless over sex, food, uh, alcohol, obviously, drugs. Um, it's uh, it, I'm powerless. When I, when I say I'm powerless over those things, what I mean is the I don't mean that, I you know, a, a beer can literally, you know, kick my ass. I mean that the, the influence it has on my brain will will always take me in a direction of making the wrong choice in, unless I have a spiritual awakening. There are still certain food, for instance, for me, still I'm working on. Food will take me from making a good decision to a bad decision. It will take all the information that's in your head, all of the good data, and it will push it aside and just say, screw it. And that happens more than I'd like to admit with, with that particular thing. It's something I'm still working on. But like I said to... to uh, to Nick when I first started sponsoring him was, uh, you know, let's take care of the paper. Or let's take care of the bullet wound before we take care of the paper cut. The bullet wound right now is your alcoholism. The paper cut is your smoking or, or your food. So as far as the, the endless things that we, that can have influence over us, those are the big ones for me. Um, so, uh, thanks Smitty. I'm, uh, I'm Quentin, man. And I, I really dig this first step. When I first came into recovery 16 months ago, man, I I never felt I was powerless. I knew my life was unmanageable because I was crippled up after a truck wreck. I couldn't afford to pay rent. I couldn't afford to pay my utilities or anything. But then uh, the powerlessness part, man, I was always a big, stocky guy, strongest man in my family, lifting weights and stuff. And I, to me, powerlessness made me feel like I was a weak motherfucker. And I didn't like that idea. I never wanted to come down to that level. But then uh, I got stuck in the West End in a fucking halfway house that uh, I really hated it, man. I was surrounded in the worst neighborhood by people that I would never come around, which uh, it's, it's interesting, man, because this powerlessness part, whenever I came to it, my mentor in life, he... Uh, was ready to fire me 
And that really made me start thinking and get willing to dig down deep inside of me and be honest with myself. And that's when the powerlessness, that's when I decided I was powerless over just about everything in my life, man. Food, alcohol, drugs, women, people pleasing. I try to please everybody and that's where my life drug me to. But uh, the unmanageability part excuse me, unmanageability part, <laughs> it was uh, the easiest thing for me. And I don't know, it's just uh, I was three months sober and my sponsor was telling me that I had to get honest with myself and figure out what I wanted to do in life. When I first came into recovery, I wasn't serious about it. I was just trying to get enough friends and get a little heads up in life, make people believe in me and everything. Now I don't know what my ulterior motive in, was in that, but at three months in recovery, something just clicked in me, and now it's I'm, I'm using step one in every aspect of my life into losing weight. I quit smoking, quit drinking, learning how to focus on not caring what you think of me. I don't care. It's it's not any importance to me, so I don't have to please anybody. But uh, that's pretty well all I got. There's a statement that says, somebody says, it's none of my business what you think of me. Yeah. It's not that I don't care, because I don't think that's a little bit off, but I think it's plenty, it's plenty uh, correct to say that it really is none of my business what you right. think of me. It's easier said than done. Very easy. For sure. Done. That's why we say we practice these Absolutely. things, In right? All of our affairs. Todd, what do you got, babe? It's Todd here. Powerless and unmanageable. Wow. Yeah, I was powerless and unmanageable. I'm probably the youngest one sitting in here as far as days sober. I'm sitting at 52 days, and I walked into that room. and Way to go, man. Yeah, good job, man. After talking to my sponsor, I was powerless and unmanageable over a whole lot of other things. I thought it was just the alcohol, but I'm way, way behind you all, and I hope that one day I get the juice and everything that's going on in this room. Because, if like you I said, day 52, mm -hmm. stick around. I realized that alcohol is just the tip of it. It, it it's a lot more it goes a lot deeper than that so that's that's all i got right now cool todd, todd. yeah that uh and todd is one of the ones that he come in because he i think he's changed his mind too and you watch people uh you can actually see a shift i think when you see a guy that actually starts getting a hold of the step one concept you know starts getting that in his life and todd did drop those lines in a chat we have going on where we we support each other and he said those words of uh you know, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. And then we started asking some questions and he started reconsidering. Maybe that wasn't quite sure, right? Wasn't quite true because the fact of the matter is, is most of us have walked around caring a hell of a lot about what everybody thought about us. We might want to play that tough guy rule. And that's one of the problems why we have trouble coming to powerlessness is because we've been trained. We've been programmed to this, I got this deal. That powerlessness is not something that we can accept or are going to admit about. Uh, I wanted to just chime in here real quick and Go say ahead, something Shane. about Todd. Um, man, it was really awesome hanging out with you this weekend. We went out on my boat and uh, had some fun uh, out on the water tubing and just hanging out being kids, you know. And Breaking ribs. Yeah, breaking ribs and being kids. Yeah, we were tubing, throwing people off the tube, just having a blast. And uh, Todd said, you know, he told us how many days he had had, and he said, this is – I haven't been to any kind of meeting in like two weeks. And um, he said, thank you for today because – 
you all show me that you can have fun in sobriety, you know, and, and that was really cool, man, because he saw us having fun and had something to look forward to. So I just want to say thank you for saying that. Appreciate let it. Let me ch- let me chime yeah. let me chime in on that because this is uh, <laughs> what you got. This is this is something that I find pretty hilarious. There was a point where we were on the boat on this beautiful boat that beautiful Shane has, and we were all we were all hanging out. And he said, "Let's do a meditation." So we all we all uh, we all decide we're going to do this meditation. We're all sitting in a boat completely quiet not saying a word all just relaxing and the funniest thought came into my mind that somebody would just come around the corner and see six men in a boat just standing completely still not saying a word and go by and go are these guys dead (laughs) (laughs) you know (laughs) but we're just sitting there being peaceful and calm because like we have this you know this thing where we're able to not really care and just be able to relax. And so that was a really cool moment we had. And it's one of the cool things we can do when we, you know, when we give ourselves up to, because I didn't want to do it because I, I was, I, and that's another thing. My, my ego will tell me I don't want to do something. So I have to eventually just say, you know what, I'm going to surrender to it and just do it anyway. And, and I had fun. So that's one of those, it's just one of those well, things. Like I told you, sweetie, Saturday we're out on the boat. You know, I walked into that meeting the first time I wanted to give up alcohol. I'm like, shit, you guys, you're all, you want to change my whole life. I was like, I wasn't expecting this. You know, I was going to give up alcohol and go on my merry way, but I got a lot of other things I got to work on, and it feels good changing those things, even in the 52 days that it's been. So, yeah, good old Todd. Appreciate it, Todd. Uh, this is Drew, or Drew Bidoo, some folks call me. But um, the, uh, the first step for me, it was definitely, uh, like Dan mentioned, it was, it was handed to me. Um, to get into the door, but uh, I, I still honestly I knew that I had an issue, uh, but it was still that was a tough thing to admit that I was powerlessness. My life had become unmanageable. But the reason why it was tricky for me is uh, my sponsor has this joke that I must have liked the color of his shoes whenever I asked him to be my sponsor because I really didn't have the the confidence. I didn't have that power. I didn't feel it. I mean, I just didn't feel it. And um, with me, again, my crutch is is alcohol, uh, but I think that it can transfer to a number of crutches. But this, my uh, my family, it's a family disease, and so it does come from um, from my family. And so I was raised in that type of environment, that household. So I've really, you know, uh, where I'm at in my recovery now. I can look back and really see that I think the reason why I struggled with admitting that I was powerless and that my life had become unmanageable is really because I hadn't experienced that before. I really didn't know. I didn't know this life that I have now because I didn't know that this was reality. I, I hadn't really been exposed to it. And, and it, if I'm being completely honest, I really thought that the people that said that they felt differently were just making it up, like just flat out making it up. And so I it wasn't. I didn't struggle with it for the fact that I felt so powerful that there was no way that I could imagine myself being powerless. It was really that I just hadn't experienced the difference in, in that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's definitely awesome, Drew. You know, there's a couple words that all come to me, and I and I, I have to take some notes today. But two of them that come in, and they're real short ones, but they're giant words in here. One of them is that very first 
word in there and we beat it to death around but it's we it really is because of the truth of the matter was is that i could never stay sober i could never do that but we seem to be able to and then once i got some people around me to help me do this thing got into this community uh i I had that and then i started finding out we're everywhere right because it really is a lot more people practicing these principles than what i thought just the same way that i thought everybody drank and nobody was sober i've actually turned around and found out that there's a whole lot of people operating on these principles the other word is is yet and that is huge in the guy, as far as I'm concerned, as far as getting that point of unmanageability into a guy's mind. Because more times than not, it really is the truth that it is, uh, I haven't lost my job yet. I haven't, my wife haven't, hasn't left yet. I haven't got a DUI yet. Because anytime be. a guy says, and see, I will use that to stave off my unmanageability. I will say that I have these things, you know, that I have a, I did say, I have a nice house, got two cars in a garage, two beautiful kids, good-looking wife, a job I've held for 20-something years, I cannot possibly have a problem with alcohol. You know? Same story here. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, and for guys, that's usually where our unmanageability comes in, where we clasp to, man, because if we can say we got a job, if we say we got a job, then we're all right. You know, For females, what it usually is, is is if you have a family, if your family's okay. As long as CPS or somebody hasn't taken the kids away, I'm managing things okay here at home, you know, because we really, you know, that uh, – What's it say that uh, we keep on lowering the bar to suit where our disease is taking us, you know? That thing, well, if I ever do that, then I'll quit. And then we do that. And then we go a step lower. And we go, well, if I ever did that, then I'll get some help. Mm-hmm. We keep on trouncing down that line. Well, that, that we thing that you mentioned, that that was big to me because in the two months, I've, I've got stronger friendships from these meetings than I have in the past 25 years of being behind the bottle. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys... Hell, I didn't know anything about them. And the guys sitting in this room, I could call any of them any time of night. Well, it's, These all, guys. it's all surface. That's the, that's the thing about the old friends is there might be a few here and there that are, uh, that are deep friendships. But for the most part, when it comes to drinking, you know, I just wanted people that drank like I did enough so I didn't, I didn't feel judged. But I wasn't going to talk to them about any deep stuff. And if I did, I don't remember it. It's a and, deep-seated uh, thing to fit in. Right, absolutely. And so that's that's a big part of it for me is just realizing that, you know, right when I came in, I mean, you know, I just heard a guy last night uh, that I've never met before admit, you know, some, some pretty intense stuff. Uh, I've never met the guy ever. And he said something that most people wouldn't tell somebody after 30 years. And I, I, I looked, I'd, I'd known him for five minutes. And he said, it's a, said some stuff, some very powerful stuff. Yeah, and that's what that's we have. That's one of the things we have here. Well, I thought most of y'all were nuts after my first meeting. Well, you, you're <laughs> so not you are. You're welcome. Out, out the gates. And yeah. then Nick comes up to me and says, you're going to sponsor me? And he says, but you need to call me every day. And I went, shit, I don't even call my fiance every day. And now you're going to tell me i got to call you every day? Got to do some things different. That is a key to this thing. We got A lot start. of things different. Yeah. Don, you got something, buddy? Yeah, just a little bit ago, Quentin had said, I wound up in places with people that I never thought I would wind up with. And uh, today I sit here almost through 172 days, and not one of those days I've been truly alone like I was before. Um, I come out of jail, uh, believe it or not, and the first person I called was a business card that my uh, mother had given to me. And uh, he was my, I called him up, got his voicemail, I thought, I escaped that one. <laughs> I left him a quick little, you know, choked up voice message, and he gave me a call back, and he said, Don, my name is Scott, and 
he told me a little bit of his story. And 15, 20 minutes into the conversation, me, grown-ass man, just got out of jail. I'm bawling my eyes out on the phone to this guy. And I'm saying, why do you want to help me? And he said, you don't have to understand that today, but someday you will. And I I just asked him probably ten times. And he said, you do not have to understand why. You will eventually. And today, you know, I'm not through the steps. I'm not that far along, but I can see it. You're working, man. I am working the steps, and I am not alone. Yeah, Don, cool stuff. That's that's the amazing part about this uh, recovery stuff, Don, is that uh, the other night, other morning, dude, I got woke up at like 5 o'clock in the morning with a phone call. Somebody who's not in recovery doesn't really, I mean, she could use recovery, but she's not an addict or an alcoholic or a gambler or anything like that. She's just got had issues going on. Her husband ended up beating the hell out of her dog, and she was scared to death that she was going to be the next one. Well, now after, since I've been in recovery this long, and I've been talking to this woman and her husband and became able to build relationships, I was the first person she knew to call that would be willing to help her. And when people, even outside of recovery, know that they can depend on me 24-7, that's just a gift of recovery, man. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's a feeling that you never want to let go. A cool little story right there, too. Um, I was on a retreat not too long ago, and um, we were in the meeting part of our retreat, and uh, a gentleman shared about um, his four-step, and he had been on it for like four months, and uh, he couldn't get past one thing. He couldn't tell his sponsor one thing. And um, after that meeting, we broke away, and uh, I got to talking to him about some things and told him what a fourth and fifth step did for me, and... uh, and we went on and played some volleyball and things. And then um, we came back later to uh, the building, and he walked back towards that room, and something said, go ask him. So I followed him into that room, and nobody else was in there. And I walked in and said, are you ready? He said, ready for what? I said, to tell me that one thing that you won't tell anybody. He said, yeah. And we sat down, and we prayed about it, and he told me that one thing he's never told anybody in his life to a complete stranger. And uh, that was my higher power working that day it, it was amazing to to be part of that to listen to a total stranger tell me something that i will never speak of to anybody else so. yeah cool shane uh well here's what like getting ahead in the steps because we're talking about step one shane exactly. jumped straight up there to step four and five but it is it's hard to stay when you've been through them it's hard to like to to, to stay on topic into one step uh, as big as step one is there's a lot to it Another little pop quiz I think about. So uh, I'll ask a question. So you got to decide two things, right? All right. The bottom line to me and somewhat here is, are you really such a freaking jerk that you did all that stuff, that you actually blew up your life, that you treated your wife and your loved ones that bad? Are you that much of a jerk that you walked through life? For me, it was stealing things. Uh, It was uh, cheating everybody that came around me, Uh, the con man that I was. Is all that stuff really the truth? Is that who I am? Or was my operating way, I like to say, was my operating system hijacked? Was Am I actually sick? Because that's what we get, that's what I, I become come to believe in this, is that I am actually ill. My spirit, I'll go down this little path. Uh, I was told when I came in here that I was spiritually sick. And what I thought you were telling me is I didn't have any religion. And I was offended. I didn't have any religion. 
but I was still offended, right? But what I've come to learn is that throughout the life of doing things and, and walking down a path that did not, uh, did not correspond with my very soul, I got my soul and my spirit sick. And when they said I was spiritually sick, that's what they meant. It didn't have anything to do with the religion. And so I got to make a choice, man, and take a thing. Am I really that big a jerk or am I sick? And once I got a hold of being that this was that powerless concept, that I was sick, that this thing was me, that, you know, it had a hold of me, and that I really had no way out either, right? I had been completely unable to fix it using my own power. My own will, my own self-will, my own power had been completely useless. And as a matter of fact, the more I exerted my own will in trying to wrap things back up, the more I actually wrecked things, the more damage I did exerting that, you know? And, and to have like a... Cause it, you know, but I'm totally blind to that without a mentor, without somebody coming and shoving the truth in my face. Because I'll sit back there on the back row and tell myself it's okay. I'm fine. I've got this. I'll be okay. And do that. And, and, and then when I hit the wall real hard and, uh, and got with a mentor or a sponsor in this program that actually could turn the mirror around and show me me by asking a number of questions, uh, I could get a hold of a first step, uh, a first step concept so to speak. It come to me like this. On a hot summer night, a guy with a ball bat and a can of pepper spray induced the beginnings of a first step on me as I broke into his parents' house stealing pain medication. A few days later, a judge told me what I'd done was going to, that I could be sentenced to six to 20 years in prison for what I'd done. And then the real part of it was, is when my sponsor showed me that even though those consequences were hanging on my neck, I continued to drink and use, knowing those consequences were staring me in the face. And when that truth was pointed at me, it became really apparent just how, how unmanageable and how powerless I had become. But up until then, I fought it. I'd have told you that wasn't the case. Who's got some? You know, Dan, I hate to chime in here. I apologize. That hyphen, that our lives had become unmanageable. That same person that helped me very early on, um, right out of jail, he asked me, is your life unmanageable? And back to the whole, I kept telling stories. I I still have a job. They don't know about this arrest. They don't know about this. And he said, well, when you're in jail, could you walk out of there anytime you want? I said, no. He said, then your life was unmanageable. It was out of your control. He said, if you have to break it down to that simple, break it down to that simple. Your life is out of control. Yeah, because when they put handcuffs in you or put you in a jail cell, you ain't in control. You have become unmanageable. <laughs> they, they don't ask. <laughs> Which is, and Dan hitting back to where you were talking about that word yet. But uh, I always find it dangerous whenever I find myself using statements with the word but in it. And I definitely have found myself doing that back before I really started to work the steps. And it sounded a lot like what you said, Don, where it was, you know, yeah, I drink quite a bit, but I still have a job. Or, you know, yeah, I probably um, am a real dickhead to people, but I still have a job or I still have a, a woman at home. And yeah, I really do spend a lot more money than I should on uh, really just ridiculous things, but I still have an apartment. And it's really all of that stuff before butt, you can just throw that shit out the window because I'm just crapping all over that with my butt. It's, yes, I drink a lot, 
but I still have an apartment. In reality, that's just me quantifying that it's okay that I drink. All I'm doing is just solidifying that that I really don't have a problem, is, is how that sounds to me. Thanks, Drew. I remember about, um, it was about five years before I got sober, um, my grandmother came to my twin's birthday party, and uh, she looked at me and said, Shane, you finally did it. I was like, what's that? She's like, you got everything you ever dreamt of. And that hit me hard because I did. I looked back. I had always told my grandmother all my dreams of what I wanted in life. And I told her I wanted a beautiful wife. I wanted boy-girl twins. I wanted a two-story house with a garage and a basement. I wanted a boat. I wanted a truck. I wanted a four-wheeler. I wanted my own business. And I had all those things, but I didn't have the one thing I thought all those things would give me, which was happiness. And at that moment, I realized that my life was unmanageable, and I was powerless over a lot of things. And that's just my one of my first steps towards realizing that I had a big problem, but was scared to admit it to anybody, to admit that I was powerless over it. This is Smitty. One of the things I struggle with a lot, uh, and, and a lot, I mean, I definitely did early on in sobriety, was approval and uh, the fact that what you thought of me was so incredibly powerful and I didn't have any power of what over what you thought of me and that's that's a part of my life that uh, that I would love to have uh, uh, a strong power over is to change the way you think about me and somebody told me one time I mean you know we you hang around a little bit, you hear so many different, cliche, you know, cliches and yeah. stories and one-liners. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, after a while, you know, you soak up so much stuff. But they said uh, that uh, no matter what you do, whether or not you, you know, give all your money to the poor, or you, you, uh, you know, you cure cancer, um, you know, you whatever it is, there will be people that won't like you, no matter what. You cannot do anything to change that. That's just the facts. Uh, and I had a very strong problem with that when I first heard it because I thought, well, well, right, but what if I like write him in like a really nice note or like, you know, send him a card <laughs> right. or like bake him a cake or something? And he goes, no, they'll still not like they you. They still won't like you. And I hated that because I thought I had that power to be, to, to change people's minds about, about the way they thought about me. And, uh, even Everybody t- should like me. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And even today, it's uh, very much a struggle when certain things are said about you or you hear certain things about you and you know, well, that's not true, but how, how can I convince somebody of that? Well, I can't. What I can do is control my reaction. And that's one of the things you'll learn as you start going through the steps is we're given a point where once, once the thing happens, we control how long we think about the, the particular thing. And so, right, but at, at, when you first come in, the idea of any of that stuff is pretty advanced, but that's something to look forward to because there will be a point where you will have a, a, a point to where you can say, okay, I am powerless over this. What can I do to make my mood different? Because my mood has just been changed and I need to get back on course. And the best way to do that is to pick up the tools, which are the steps. And those powerless items will 
fly at you every day at a velocity that is incredible. Um, somebody called it the velocity of life, which is very, very fast. We think, you know, we go out the door, we've meditated, we've gotten all our armor on, and immediately we got a flat tire. And we're like, I'm ready for this. Oh, oh. and then we got to do all that all over again. It's just the first thing. And it's, and that's where unmanageability comes in also because it's kind of like uh, the, the uh, equ equalizer in a studio, you know, all the different levels going back and forth, and you got to make sure that everything is kind of balanced. And when it comes to... Uh, when it comes to everyday life, I'm powerless over so many things that it becomes that's 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 sort of creates some unmanageability in itself because I have to think so much about what I have to do today, what bills do I have to pay, all that stuff. It's a lot easier now than it used to be uh, because I've taken advice, I've asked people for help. I say I don't know what I'm doing. Can you please help me? And that's something that I have to do on a daily basis with a lot of different things. Alcohol was one of the first. And there's a ton of other things in life where I have to just go, I don't know what I'm doing. Help me. Pause. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's all. So I have an unmanageability story. <clears throat> I was early in recovery and uh, my sponsor had turned me loose to sponsor the first guy ever. And I'm all wrapped up in my insecurities about that. You know, am I going to mess him up? Am I going to, you know, and, and that was one of the uh, doses of powerlessness that you start learning about in future life is that you don't have this, you don't, I don't have the power to get somebody sober and I don't have the power to get them drunk either. either. So uh, I use these, this power, this other power that we, we harness in here. Uh, there's a page in a book that said, well, that's what this thing's about is, uh, is, is getting a power in your life that you can rely on. But anyway, this guy's sitting across the table from me and we're trying to do this step one kind of deal and talking about it. And, and it's usually pretty easy for people that who have uh, really crashed into something and they know they got a problem with the alcohol, right? I mean, it's pretty easy to say, I think generally usually that powerlessness over alcohol is something or drugs or whatever your thing is. That's something you can get your arms around pretty quick. It's usually the manageability thing. And, and it's my experience that the males will go, well, that's all I sponsor. They are, uh, they were really resistant to the unmanageability concept. So this guy across from me says, considering everything, I think I'm managing pretty well. And I looked at him for a minute and I thought, and we're sitting in a men's recovery center. I've been out at his car. Uh, I said, uh, I will change the names to protect the innocent. I said, Joe, I seen your car out there and it doesn't have, it's got expired plates on it. You told me you don't have any insurance. All your worldly belongings are out in that car. We're sitting here working in a recovery center that you do not have the money to pay rent to stay at. I said, you haven't seen your kids in two years. You're on your second divorce. And you're gonna tell me that you're managing things well? And he stepped back in his chair and scratched on his goatee for a minute and he said, well, I really haven't looked at it that way. Right. <laughs> uh, until the mirror was shined and turned around, just like in my story a minute ago, what my sponsor did to me, until that actually got turned around and shown to me by another person that who, had, who had worked these steps, I was unable to see that. Who's next? I'll go ahead and share, Dan. Quentin, uh, take her over, buddy. That reminds me of when I was uh, early in recovery, I didn't see my unmanageability until I thought I had the power to manage my life in a way that drug me into a tent next to I-65 on the south side of Louisville. 
But uh, I had to become beat down emotionally and spiritually to a level to where I was willing to take suggestions and finally sitting in that tent after a couple of weeks I was willing and the miracle happened man it's been a blessing and that mirror had to be turned back on yeah. you too because it you did. told me you were camping yeah and it was fun to be camping sober <laughs> on the side of the interstate in somebody's tent that wasn't yours and somebody's sleeping bag that wasn't yours right. without showers or laundry we're only supposed time. to do that for a short amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, but back to what Drew was saying, like before the butt, and I mean, when I was sitting in there to deer and headlights and listening to these people's stories, I was like, wow, I don't, I don't think I've got it that bad. And then I sat down and talked to Nick, and he was yet. And that, that really hit home to me. Yeah, I didn't lose my house. Yeah, I didn't lose my fiance. Yeah, I didn't lose my kid. But... It was coming. Should I have had a DUI four nights a week? But, you know, the yet really hit home to me after my first conversation with Nick, after coming out of that meeting thinking, what the hell did I just walk into? So you've never had any legal problems, Todd? One, you know, 15 years ago I had a DUI, but that wasn't enough for me to open up. I was just like, oh, you know, shit happens. Right. You know, I'll go on with life. 15 years ago it was a slap on the wrist. No big deal. Hell, I had a Florida driver's license. I left the courthouse and turned my Florida driver's license in and got a Kentucky license because computers weren't linked. Isolated incident. Yeah. So. What about you, Shane? Hmm, What about me? It's not about me. That's what it is. (laughs) That's what I realize now. Um, Let's see. Unmanageability part of it. Yeah. then in my madness, I was on the verge of losing my wife, my kids, my house, my everything. And that's what I didn't want to lose was my wife and my kids. That's the most important to me. And um, the last couple of days beforehand, uh, my wife had went up to get my kids' piggy banks to um, get some out for, for something that they wanted. And I had stolen... Um, a significant amount of money out of each of their piggy banks and I was going to put it back. It wasn't, I didn't, I didn't consider that stealing. Hmm. And, uh, yeah. Like stole things. Yeah. I, was, I didn't pawn it. I'll get it back. Yeah, I'll get it back. I, I'll, I'll put that money back in next week. I'll be good. But my wife was going up there to get it and um, I was like, you know what? I got to tell you something, you know, and of course I'm coming up this line. I was like, you know, I, I, I was short on work this week, so I took some money out of there. I'm going to put it back in this week. You know, we're good. And then my wife's like, what is going on? And, you know, um, she sat down. and was like, why are you taking money out of there? That's stealing. I was like, it's not stealing. I'm putting it back. I mean, it's not stealing, you know. And she knew something was wrong with me. And something inside me at that point was just screaming on the inside of me. Tell her now. I mean, literally screaming. I couldn't even quiet the voice in my head. But I pulled my, my ego pulled me back. You got this, man. You got this. You can do it. Just hold in there. You got it. You got it. And it was just the other one was just screaming in my ear. Just tell her now. You know, I wanted to tell so bad, but my ego just wouldn't let me, and it pulled me back. And I, I pulled it together and and got through that lie. You know, and I managed it at that moment. But the next week it caught back up with me. You know, that's just part of a, a long story I want to tell one day. To uh, and and that's one of the things that that kept me from pulling the trigger. 
and kill myself was I wanted to tell my own story. And here I am today, a little over two years later, telling my story to uh, other people and uh, hopefully help them share my experience, strength, and hope. Another part about unmanageability is, is the truth and what is the truth and what isn't. That's Smitty, by the way. She'll yeah. set you free. And uh, the truth is something, if you tell it enough, if you tell the truth enough, then you don't have to, you don't have to worry about what you said. So you don't have to manage what you said. You don't have to put everything in a file and you don't have to, uh, you don't have to worry about that. But one of the things that I used to do a lot was call a certain word a different word because it sounded better. And it was, so I was, I was definitely hiding from what, what the actual meaning was. Like for example, Kind of like being homeless, and I was always calling it camping. There you go, exactly. Or um, I was, uh, I would, t- I would take a few things when I was stealing, mm. you know, nice. and uh, I would, uh, or, or like people say, they say, li- you know, I lifted some things. They don't like to say steal because it makes them feel bad because they know it's wrong. That's why there's jargon. Uh, that's why. You know, there's there's all kinds of different words for drugs because if you just call it what it actually is, then it feels dirty. It feels dirty. it feels so bad. Dirty. I need to call it something different so I feel better about it. One of the things I learned later on in the steps, and definitely in the fifth step, was I'm calling certain things one thing when really they're the other, and my uh, my my ability to justify things and change the way I feel about things is not, I don't really have as much power over that. I have to have somebody else be able to look at me and goes, no, no, it's this, it's not this. I also have to be open to that. I have to be open to that criticism and say, okay, I will believe what you tell me and not just hold on to that. And I think what most of us, when we get to the point where we've truly surrendered, we have a window. We don't always ask for help in that window but it's a window and it'll close. Yeah, mm-hmm. there is a definitely a yeah. window of opportunity. A very short window. It'll close, but, and there'll, there'll be, there might be more, there might not. Right. Um, you might die before you get there. Absolutely. Uh, there's, you, people People have always, you know, it's another cliche that goes around, you know, your bottom is, your bottom can keep going until you're six feet under. And that's something that makes a lot of sense to me because, I can always get worse. There's people on death row right now that have not hit bottom. It's, it's mental more than physical. You can have a lot of physical attributes to your, to your bottom that still don't, that, that I could deal with where other people couldn't. So that's, that's a very important thing to remember is just because I can deal with something doesn't mean somebody else can. And just because they can doesn't mean I can. Everybody's different as far as the, uh, the, their, their surrender and their bottom. My bottom's always had crap doors. Well, that's, that's, that's one way to look at it, for sure. So, with the needle and thread. Yeah. <laughs> that's corny. I'm just going to go like around that. and do some final thoughts. Maybe a closing thought on every on step one. Do a quick, uh, maybe a, a closer. Todd? Step one. Well, I'm still working on step one. Even though I'm about to hit step four, I'm still real powerless and real unmanageable. You know but it has way, gotten a lot better. You know, one way I can tell you're getting it is because you're sitting here with us. Yep. That is true. This that is, is a great group to be sitting with. 
that. And one of the questions I've heard people say is, how do I know? How do I know when I've surrendered? Or you know that that question about I have in trouble surrender. But I don't really know how to get somebody to surrender. But I do know when you have surrendered. It's usually about the time you've done an amend or two. <laughs> Quinn, uh, my final thought. Uh, I'm pretty well speechless about uh, the host powerless and manageability part. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to get into recovery when I did because I feel I would have been like what Smitty was talking about being six foot under if I kept on living the life the way I was living, 370 pounds and eating my way into my grave So and smoking cigarettes, smoking three to four packs a day, seven days a week. Now I'm just like changing everything in life and I... You're a couple days away from 100 days off of nicotine, aren't yes. you? Yes. Yep. 100 Way days off nicotine, 30 pounds lost in five weeks. Way to go, man. That is yeah. the other fruits of recovery. Yes, sir. Shane. Thanks, Quentin. Uh, yeah, I'm very grateful that I jumped through that window of opportunity when it happened. Um, it all fell into place. I mean, it, the moment I spoke the truth, I felt like the way the world was lifted off of me when I told somebody that I was an addict. And it was a close friend of mine that I had taken to the brook a year prior for heroin. And uh, I called him and uh, told him I had a problem. And that started that ball rolling as far as um, knowing that, all right, here we go. Let's do this. I'm all in, you know. Um, and I'm grateful for that day and that moment of, of truth. That's all I got. Smitty, what's your closing thought, brother? I uh, I was at a bar uh, in the uh, cultural part of town, and uh, I was I had had two beers, and a thought hit me. I had come to meetings, I had come to uh, different recovery, uh, different different forms of recovery. And I wasn't willing to do any work. And I had two beers, and all of a sudden the thought hit me like a lightning bolt. I don't trust my thoughts anymore. I don't trust my... Uh, I don't trust my intuition anymore. I need to ask somebody what I need to do. I was terrified of making decisions for myself anymore. That really hit me, and I finally realized that I'm ready to listen to somebody else and do something new rather than just doing it my way. That's it. Thanks, Smitty. Don, closer. Don here. In closing, first step isn't just the first step. I do the first step every single day, sometimes more than once. When I wake up, it's, dear God, my name's Don. I'm, an, I'm a real alcoholic and I need your help today. And at the end of the day, I thank him for getting me through that day. Um, we call it the first step, but we, we need to do it every day. It is the first for a reason, admission. And that's my closing. Thanks, Don. Drew. Uh, Drew here, or Drew Bidoo. And, uh, yeah, really, Don, you just you took the words right out of my mouth. That's That's something that... I think whenever I first came in, I didn't realize at all. I thought that it was that I would do step one and then I'd be good. And then I'd do step two. Okay, check that off and just keep doing that. And then somehow it would be like, 
you know, in like a, a video game or something, you jump up and then you're set on that level from then on out. But step one, I, you know, I, I constantly try to take back control or power or try to lie to myself and say that, oh, you know, I can manage this situation on my own, which, you know, it's, it's, I've read before that this is something that you can't single-handedly beat in one-on-one combat. Um, but there is a, a quote that I really like. I don't know who it's by, but it, it says that the only battles that I've ever won are the ones that I've just gave up or surrendered. Hmm. And I just really like that. And that's, um, you know, I can battle with this thing for forever and, and not win. But it was only whenever I surrendered and uh, opened up to you guys and asked for that help and that guidance that I actually was able to, to get a little foothold. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Drew. Thanks, Drew. It's Dan again. Uh, what I needed to know was could I really admit that my problem, admit my problem and that, that, that I was unable to fix it. Uh, I had to find a better and new, uh, well, I had to find a new and better source of juice, something that would replace the chemicals. I needed something that would replace that because if I, that old, the old thing about the vacuum, if I don't have something to, to, to replace the thing that I have been living on, and, and I can admit this today that, you know, truly I don't know that I would have survived as long as I did if I had not had the chemicals in the medicine. You know, I really do think at some point I would have done the thing so many other uh, people who suffer with alcoholism would have done. I'd, I'd, I'd have found the coward way out and, and escaped. So for a long time, that, that alcohol and the dope worked for me. It actually kept me pumping. But when it stopped working, it stopped working fast. And I had to have something to replace it. And that's what I found with this fellowship and these guys around me. Uh, another thing I sit with, guys, and, 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 and I had so a lot of problem getting that terminal uniqueness that this wouldn't work for me. You know, you guys, it might have worked for. That guy, maybe. That guy over there, I don't believe. He's lost a weekend somewhere. He's not telling the truth. You know, that thing what Drew was saying about not believing that these guys really had this. Uh, so what I was told was that, how, Dan, are you really going to sit here before me and tell me that you are so unique that what has worked for millions of other people is not going to work for you? You're that special? Nope. Nope. They say you have to do step one perfect. Uh, this, they also say this is a this is a progress, not perfection. Uh, I like the concept of not doing or of, of doing a step one perfectly every day. Uh, that is not within my reach personally. Uh, every day, what I can do perfectly is, is is not put one in me, and 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 sometimes just that at the end of the day. Uh, not putting one in me and maybe not hurting anybody today is a, definitely a, a check mark in the win column. Uh, it ended up being that basically the thing was is that I just could not manage my life. I really couldn't. And I started letting this other guy manage my life. This guy I called my sponsor. I started letting him manage my life, and my life started turning around. And, uh, and, and today I still continue to let that guy manage my life because he's doing a damn good job. And you know what I found out? Is you know what? He just ain't very good at managing his own life either. But he's got a guy that helps him manage his, you know. And that same thing about the mirror, you know, uh, this this community, this mentoring effort that goes through this 12-step process, uh, uh, I think is where a whole lot of the value is. I, I, I turn loose the steering wheel and let another man take it over.
We're live right now. Yeah.